Good. Okay, well, as Josh said, my name, my name is Dan. Uh, great to be with you again this morning and uh, just extend my welcome to you. If you are new amongst us, we do love having uh, guests with us. I hope that you've enjoyed being with us so far this morning and that carries on as you listen to me for the next 25, 30 minutes or so. We're going to be carrying on our truth series, uh, as you see, and we're going to be looking this morning at the subject of grace. Now, before I get into it, I just want to give a plug for this book. It's called uh, Gentle and Lowly by a guy called Dane Ortland. Uh, and if you've not read it yet, it's just, it's fantastic. This is food for the soul. This will do you good. I promise you this will do you good if you read it. Basically, it's, got, it's the heart of Christ for, uh, well, it's the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. So if you're anything like me, and you're not perfect, and you don't get it right all the time, and you sometimes worry if your failures repel God from you, read this book, and you will realise that actually there's nothing you can do. There's, there's no low that you can sink to where actually God doesn't not just come and meet you in that place, but he actually takes joy in coming to meet you in that place. That our worst doesn't repel God. It actually draws God to us. And this is a fantastic book to just uh, explore that theme, really. So I can't recommend it enough. Please uh, do yourself a massive favour and get hold of that book. Okay, now it seems to me that both uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the society we live in, both performance and conformance, really, are still a big part of the way that we relate to one another uh, in the culture of our society. And by that, I mean it's that our willingness and readiness, really, if we're honest, to, to love those around us or to attribute worth to them or show honour to them are so often dependent on their performance or their conformance with regard to how they live their lives, whether they agree with us uh, on certain issues that are important to us, whether uh, it, might be, it might be appearance, it might be lifestyle choices, it might be the extent to which others demonstrate love and honour to us. All these things can influence and impact our readiness and willingness to not just love, but to show honour and value for those around us. And besides that, again, if you're anything like me, we each have our own struggles with knowing our own worth and to be able to truly love and accept ourselves for who we are as well. You know, it can seem often like you're only worth as much as your worst day. Be that to others or be that to yourself in your own estimations. But I want to tell you this morning that the biblical message of grace flies in the face of that. And it says that actually, despite our very worst days and our worst mistakes, God's value and love for us never changes. Jerry Bridges said this, Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace and your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. I don't know which one you need to hear this morning, which side of that coin, but both are true. And so to explore grace this morning, we're going to start by looking at a few verses from the start of Romans 4 and then the start of uh, Romans 5. So we're going to kick off in Romans 4 verse 1. It's the Apostle Paul writing, saying, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. 
And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And then just jump over to the start of Romans 5. We heard it last week. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Father, I just want to pray that you would do us good this morning. I pray right now, God, as we get into your word, we believe that your, this, your word is truth. God, we believe that you're here uh, not just to fill up our minds, but you're here to, to touch our hearts, actually. We believe, uh, God, that you are the God of grace. And we just say we want to meet with you this morning. So we just pray, would you cause uh, your word to, to take root in our hearts? Would you help us to understand it? Would you give us uh, faith to really believe it and partner with it, God, so that we would be changed by it in Jesus' name? Amen. Okay, cool. Well, I, I get that. Let me just start by saying I get that. For many of us here, we are probably well-versed with the theology of God's grace. But the reality is that whilst we may hold a theology of God's grace, the truth is that until God's grace itself touches every part of our lives, until grace is the lens through which we see ourselves and is the lens through which we relate to God, then the truth is we haven't fully embraced grace itself. We might understand it, but that's different to actually embracing the grace of God this morning. And actually that will take a lifetime because you never graduate from the school of grace. You don't. The truths of this series that we've been going through are not meant to be merely understood. They are to be lived and, and experienced. You know, we are to not just know truth, but live in the good of it. What was the point otherwise? What's the point if we just puff up our minds and no more stuff, no more theology, if we don't walk in the good of it? And actually, that's why we want to ask. We want to be asking the Holy Spirit. I encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit this morning uh, to, to, to shape your heart, to shape your, your, your life as you leave this place with God's grace. Now, on the other hand, I know also there will be some here who you're not a Christian today. And actually, some of the things I'm going to share may be a new way for you of thinking about God. And my prayer for you this morning is that God would win your heart by his grace this morning, that he would win your heart. And actually my, my prayer for all of us is that we would move from theology to practice. Okay, I'm not as interested in you walking out of here today just knowing or understanding more about grace. In fact, probably most of you won't. And that's fine because what I'm really interested in is actually all of us having met with the God of grace and him encountering us by the Holy Spirit, drawing us near to him, uh, giving us a new revelation in a deep place of who he is and who we are, of what he's done, what he's won for us, and what that means for the way we live the rest of our lives. It's not just about here, it's about what God's going to, it's him laying hold of his people, of laying hold of us, that's what we want. So what do we mean by grace? Well, Talking about the, the grace of God, what I'm, I mean is the unmerited favour of God 
towards us, his people, in Christ. It's the demonstration of his love towards us, not based on anything that we've done, but based purely on his desire to be gracious to us and his act in, uh, in, in bringing that uh, about, in dealing with our sin, as we'll go on to see. And grace, what grace does is it brings us to a place where we can enjoy God, where we can enjoy being in relationship with God as sons and daughters who have a clear conscience, who have a clear conscience before God. And as we heard today from Hebrews 10, we have a clear conscience and we can draw near to God with confidence to the throne of grace because of the blood of Jesus. As Terry Virgo once put, put it, grace sets us free from heavy Christianity, heavy performance-driven Christianity where we're constantly striving to earn, try and earn God's favour and acceptance of us while constantly feeling condemned because we screw up. We do, don't we? Rather than enjoying the fact that his favour and his acceptance of us is a free gift. It's a free gift. Christians aren't supposed to be weighed down by condemnation. They're not supposed to be free. It's the outrageous grace of God. It's ludicrous, isn't it? I can stand before God with a clear conscience. It's amazing. And so let's get to grips with that a little bit more. Let's, let's try and understand why it is that we, we need God's grace. You know, God's grace is that much more beautiful and, 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 uh, and, and incredible to us when we understand actually why we need it in the first place. Now, throughout the Bible, God reveals himself as a God of holiness and perfection in every attribute, every attitude, every behaviour, every word. And we call this his righteousness. But he also reveals himself as a God of love who invites us to come and actually know him. Not know about him, but to come and know him and to be known by him as well in a personal way. But, you know, he's a perfect God. He's a God of righteousness where we are an imperfect people. And you don't need me to tell you that about you. And we don't only need to look around the world around us and look at current events, but actually we can look inside ourselves too, can't we? You know, as creator of all things, God has set the bar for righteousness. Okay, God has set the bar for morality, for right and wrong, for truth. But we fall short and miss that by a long, long way. Not only do we fall short of that, but often we reject it altogether in, in favour of wanting to live life on our terms and live life our own way. I don't want to do it like that. And that's been true of humanity ever since the fall, ever since... Uh, what we read about in the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis. And the, and the consequence of that is that because of our sin, our failure to, 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 to live up to the perfect righteousness of God, we fall under the judgment of God and we become liable, God says, for the penalty of our sin, which is death. And that's not just talking about a physical death in this life. It's talking about a separation from God, a relational separation from God. Not just now, but for eternity. Now, I want to be really clear with you today. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, if you're not a Christian, if you've never responded to the gospel, I want to be really honest with you because I believe to be honest with you about this stuff is to love you. Okay, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, yeah, it is good news, but it is not just feel good news. 
It is not just feel good news. It is not just a nice thing to believe in. The Bible is clear that without Christ, we are in great need. It actually says that we're dead in sin. It says that we're dead in sin. It says that we are in need of saving from an eternity apart, separated from God, the maker, the creator of all things. And that actually, without Christ, apart from Christ, we will, we will spend eternity in that place when it's too late to respond. Dane Ortland in his book said this, Christ was, not, Christ was sent not to mend wounded people or wake sleepy people or advise confused people or inspire bored people or spur on lazy people or educate ignorant people, but to raise dead people. That's why Christ was sent into the world. That's why the gospel is a big deal. That's why I want to tell you the good news about the gospel. That's why I want to tell you the reality of sin and our failure to, to, to actually live up to the righteousness of God because it matters, not just now, but it matters for the rest of eternity. There's a heck of a lot at stake. And I wouldn't love you if I didn't tell you the truth of the consequence of sin, but actually the gift of God in Christ, which is righteousness by what Jesus has done. And that is the good news, is that though we were all, and some of us still are, guilty before God and liable for his judgment, actually Christ Jesus did not leave us to face punishment of our sin. Because actually not only did God set the standard for us to meet, he fulfilled it as well. He fulfilled it on our behalf. And actually, I want to tell you, this shows us something about who God is. Because whilst he is righteous judge, that is who he is, actually that doesn't best reflect his nature. His primary nature is to love. He's a lover. It's his primary nature. His primary nature is to be merciful. In Ephesians 2, he is described as being rich in mercy. That's who he is. He's rich in mercy, you know, to act mercifully towards us is for him to act in accord with who he truly is. He's being himself when he's merciful to you. When he's merciful to me, he's expressing his heart. He's expressing who he is. Yeah, he is uncompromising in holiness. He is uncompromising in justice. But more than that, he's overflowing in goodness. He's extremely abundant in mercy and kindness towards us. He enjoys showing mercy to us. He enjoys being gracious to us. And that is why God conceived this plan of rescue for us. Because he is both far holier than we can comprehend, but equally he's far more gracious and compassionate than we could ever imagine. It says in Isaiah 30 verse 18, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up and show you compassion. And how did he do that? Well, we can read, Paul wrote in Titus 2. He said, for the grace of God has appeared, offering salvation to all people. You know, he was talking about Jesus appearing. Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's grace to us. That's why he sent Jesus into the world over 2,000 years ago to live that perfect life without an ounce of sin, to live out the righteousness of God perfectly 
as a man, as a human on our behalf, doing what we could never do. And then he went to the cross and he carried in his own body our sin, your and my sin, for all the years that we've lived with no regard to God, the years that we've rejected God. All the things that we've done of which we're most ashamed, disappointed even in ourselves, the ways that we've maybe acted selfishly, that we've hurt ourselves or hurt others. Even the most heinous and depraved acts of humanity, some of which we are seeing in this very week. Jesus carried the sin of the world in his body. Jesus, the the perfect lamb, the one who perfectly fulfilled the righteousness of God. No, No ounce of sin in him and yet he carried the weight of our sin, our shame, our brokenness. The most despicable things we can fathom, he carried the weight of our sin upon himself. Imagine what that was like for him. All of that, all the stuff that caused us to stand before God rightly condemned, actually he carried that in himself so that he would face the judgment of God on our behalf to satisfy the wrath of God. You know, grace doesn't mean that God turns a blind eye to sin and doesn't deal with it. Grace doesn't mean that actually there's not just punishment for sin. Actually, it just means that that punishment doesn't fall on us if we put our faith in Christ because Jesus took the punishment upon himself on the cross. It was dealt with, it was finished, it was paid for. But then three days later, he rose again so that all of us who would repent of our sin, turn from our sin, acknowledge our sin, recognise it, and would turn to Jesus, actually would find forgiveness and would find new life in him. That our sin would no longer be counted against us because it was dealt with. Jesus took it upon himself. It was counted on him, actually. And then it was settled in full. So it's not counted against us anymore. Now that is the grace of God. That we didn't deserve that. We didn't earn that. We couldn't earn it. It's the free gift of Christ. It's Romans, isn't it? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is forgiveness in Jesus. Now as we read in verse in chapter 5, and as we read last week, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God. We're no longer enemies with God with God, we're at peace with him, as Mornay shared last week. Now, when Paul says there in chapter five, when he says that we have been justified by faith, the tense that he uses means that we have been justified once and forever. Okay, justification is instantaneous at the moment that we receive Christ. We are brought in that moment into right standing with God. We are united we're literally joined to Christ it happens in a moment but it lasts for eternity which means that you and me we can never be any more or any less justified than we are than we were the moment that we came to Christ and you know what you can never do anything to lose it you can never do anything to lose it now in this world that we live in and maybe in our own mindset our own emotions our own thoughts uh, we can be very fickle and fragile in, like I said, our kind of perceived worth of ourselves or even the way that we value one another when maybe we get it wrong with one another, when we, maybe we hurt one another, we, we mess up. Actually, we can, we can allow that to, to, to affect the, the, the way we love one another, the way we value one another. We can be quite fragile in it, but it's not like that with God. He's not fragile or fickle in any way. This is what John Stott says in his commentary on, on Romans. He says, Justified believers enjoy a blessing far greater than a periodic approach to God or an occasional audience with the king. 
Now, we are privileged to live in the temple and in the palace. The perfect tenses, and he's talking about chapter 5 there, express this. Our relationship with God, into which justification has brought us, is not sporadic but continuous, not precarious but secure. We don't fall in and out of grace like courtiers who may find themselves in and out of favour with their sovereign or politicians with the public. No, we stand in it for that is the nature of grace. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's a good truth, isn't it? It's a good truth. For those of us in Christ, not only do we have a hope in him that goes beyond the grave, but actually we have now in this life a God who is for us and not against us. A God who is in every way powerful and wise and good and in authority over every sickness, every disease, even over death itself. And he's with us and he wants to act graciously towards us. In fact, he works all things for our good. He works all things for our good, even in the situations where there doesn't appear to be breakthrough, even in the situations we've, we've cried out for resolution for a long time. Actually, he is using them. He doesn't waste anything. He's working in them. He is orchestrating all of time and history. He's orchestrating the good, the bad, the ugly. He's working all things together towards that day when he will right every wrong, when he will make whole everything that is broken, when he will restore everything that was lost and he will bring all things together in the love of Christ for those who put their trust in him, for those who respond to the gospel of Jesus. But you know, grace doesn't mean only that we're, we're declared righteous and freed from the guilt of sin. It's not just about absolving us from guilt. Actually, it's much more than that. It's about us being reconciled back to God. Listen to what Paul writes in Galatians 4. He says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So where justification is that kind of legal declaration that we are now innocent, our guilt is removed, we stand justified before God. Reconciliation is actually about relational restoration. It's about us not being separated from God relationally anymore, but we are made sons and daughters, we're made children of God. And with that comes all the blessings of covenant relationship with God. It's actually a, a helpful way to, to, to remember what grace is. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. All of the riches of, in, of the inheritance of being sons and daughters paid for by Christ. You know, the ultimate purpose of the gospel is not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not the end of the gospel. The end of the gospel is adoption as sons and daughters of God. And so if you're not a believer here today, again, maybe you come in with a notion of God being this distant and impersonal deity when actually he's not. He's a father. He's a father and he's a father. The gospel is a story of how a father responded. Is that a good father we, 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 we think would when the, the, his child are lost and in danger? That actually he came and he brought us home to safety. He came after us. He didn't leave us in that place. He came after us. That's the point of God's grace. Now, that's the grace of God. That is the theology of God's grace. That is the work of God's grace. But really what we need to know is how do we live in the good of it? Because like I said to you, I don't want us to just walk out and go, fine, yeah, take that, I understand grace. No, we, we want to walk out of here people that walk in grace, that live in grace. And I don't, know about, I don't know about you, but for me, it doesn't always come naturally to live my life 
with the overwhelming influence being the grace of God. You know, I think maybe the bigger, the bigger challenge is not actually that, that we can comprehend like receiving the grace of God for forgiveness that one time when we come to Christ. I think sometimes it's actually walking in it every day that we trip up. It's like, it's letting grace shape how I relate to God. When I get it wrong, when I mess up, when I'm feeling distant from him, do I really get grace? It's in those moments. Do I feel like actually when I mess up, I just really annoy God? Do I feel like when I mess up, God is, is, is repelled? Like I said, is, is repelled by me. Is it that, do I believe that actually when I get it wrong, God distances himself from me and takes a step back? You know, he doesn't, you know, okay, well, maybe, maybe he listens to me pray because he has to, because <laughs> he's God and I'm a Christian. That's how it works. He doesn't really want to. He's paid off with me or he's just disappointed or he's, you know, he's, he's you know, you're a pain. Is that, 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 that is a good gauge of do I get the grace of God? Because that's not, that's not how God works. That's not grace. Grace says Jesus paid by his blood for me to be brought into relationship with God where my sins are washed away and God looks at me as holy, looks at me as, as a child and there's nothing I can do to change that. There's nothing good, there's nothing bad that I can do to change the way that God relates to me. And I think it's important that we ask ourselves those questions of how we relate to God. Another, another quote from Dane Ortland. he says, there's two ways to live the Christian life. You can leave it, you can live it, don't leave it. You can't. Anyway, once saved, always saved. You can't. Okay? You can't. You can live it either for the heart of Christ or from the heart of Christ. You can live for the smile of God or from it. You can live for a new identity as a son or daughter of God or from it. You can live for your union with Christ or from it. The battle of the Christian life is to bring your own heart into alignment with Christ's. That is getting up each morning and replacing your natural orphan mindset with a mindset of full and free adoption into the family of God through the work of Christ, your older brother, who loved you and gave himself for you out of the overflowing fullness of his gracious heart. If I had time, I'd read that another two or three times because that's just good. Don't live your life for the favour of God. Don't live your life for the acceptance of God or the pleasure of God because it's yours in Christ already. The point is, it's all been done. It's been accomplished for us already. We can't earn it. It's a free gift. But what about living as a Christian? What about sanctification? Surely that is where we have to throw in a bit of our own works to finish the job. Well, listen to what Paul wrote to the Galatians. He said, are you so foolish? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Throw out that way of thinking. Don't think that God started something that you're going to finish yourself. It doesn't work like that. He wrote that precisely because of our tendency to slip back into a performance mindset with God. You know, I've heard it said that if you preached grace correctly, the question people come away with is, well, so I, can I just go on sinning then and it doesn't change anything? And in one sense, the answer is yes. It's yes. Because there's nothing you can do to nullify the effect of the grace of God in your life. There's nothing you can do. There's no low that you can sink to. There's no mistake you can make. There's, no, there's, there's nothing you can do to nullify the grace of God in your life if you've responded to the gospel, to Jesus. You've been born again of the Spirit. That's irreversible. 
You cannot undo that. You cannot undo that. You did not earn God's favour, so there is nothing you can do to lose it. Tell yourself that every day. You didn't earn God's favour, but you know it's already yours in Christ and it's beautiful and it's amazing and it's freeing and it's glorious. Enjoy it and try and strive to earn it. It's already yours. It's already yours. And Paul asks this question in Romans 6. He says, well, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? He understood it. Okay? He understood the, the, the completeness of the grace of God, right? And that's why he asked that question. Should we just go on sinning then? Because I guess more sin, more grace, right? The more I sin, the more God gets to be gracious to me. I just carry on sinning. And he answers it. He says, by no means. No, don't do that. You're misunderstanding the purpose of grace. Maybe you're understanding the effect of grace, but you're misunderstanding the purpose of grace. Because grace is not only for our salvation, right, for forgiveness and freedom from sin, but it is for our sanctification. Grace is that we would bear the fruit of Christ-likeness in our lives. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. But they are the evidence, they are not the means. So yes, the gift of grace means that we can do whatever we like, but the fruit of grace is that what we like to do is actually what God wants. It actually is that we represent God. We bear Christ. We bear the image of Christ. We bear the fruit of Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, what the law required, Jesus fulfilled and grace by the Spirit now enables. What the law required of us that we couldn't live up to, Jesus fulfilled on our behalf and then grace by the Spirit enables us to live the righteousness of God. Not in order to get the favour of God, now that's done. But actually we were made to, to reveal Christ in who we are. We're made in his image. To walk in the grace of God is not just to be free, but it's actually to, to live the fullness of life that God paid for us. Again, Dane Orland writes that the grace of God is not only the gateway to the Christian life, but it is the pathway to Grace is not a one-time thing, but you live in grace the rest of your life. Grace enables us to pursue obedience in the process of sanctification. Working out our salvation, as Paul writes in Philippians, is nothing to do with the security of our salvation, but it's about bringing forth the fruit of it. Does that make sense? Grace is not opposed to our effort in partnering with the work of the Spirit in our lives. It's opposed to the futile notion of trying to earn God's favour by our works, which really is a futile notion. It really is. So we need to learn to draw on God's grace every day. D.L. Moody writes this, a man can no more take in a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough today to last him for the next six months. Nor can he inhale sufficient air into his lungs with one breath to sustain life for a week to come. We are permitted to draw upon God's store of grace from day to day as we need it. But if you're anything like me, uh, I often find that, well, I don't, I don't actually do that. I don't actually do that so well. I try, but I don't fully draw on that, that, you know, that ocean of grace like I could, like God invites me to, actually. You know, why is it that at the times when I need God the most are the times when I believe the lie that God rejects me rather than the truth that God in Christ accepts me. Why, why, why does that happen? I, I know better. I know the truth. I get it. I'm preaching on it, for goodness sake. But why, why, why is that wrestle? 
The times when I need God the most, I fall for the lie that God rejects me rather than the truth that he accepts me. Listen to this, Corker, right? Get this book. Perhaps you, like me, or perhaps you have difficulty receiving the rich mercy of God in Christ, not because of what others have done to you, but because of what you've done to torpedo your life, maybe through one big stupid decision or maybe through 10,000 little ones. You've squandered his mercy and you know it. To you, I say, do you know what Jesus does with those who squander his mercy? He pours out more mercy. God is rich in mercy. That is the whole point. Whether we have been sinned against or have sinned ourselves into misery, the Bible says God is not tight-fisted with mercy, but he's open-handed. He's not frugal, but he's lavish. He's not poor, but rich. It means the things about you, I love this, the things about you that make you cringe the most make him hug the hardest. Come on. The things about you that make you cringe most make him hug the hardest. It means his mercy is not calculating and cautious like ours. It's unrestrained, flood-like, sweeping, magnanimous. It means our haunting shame. Some of you know what it's like to have that. Haunting shame is not a problem for him, but the very thing he loves to work, he loves most to work with. Just let that soak in. The things you're ashamed of, actually the things that God loves to work with. It means our sins do not cause his love to take a hit. Our sins cause his love to surge forward all the more. It means on that day when we stand before him quietly unhurriedly, we will weep with relief, shocked at how impoverished a view of his mercy rich heart we had. We have got to grasp the fact that God's grace is more than equal to our failures more than equal. In fact, our failures are like a droplet in the ocean of his grace. Our sins are great, but his grace, our sins are great, but his grace is greater. We have to learn to trust in God's grace and goodness and love for us, whether we're in our best moments or whether we've sinned and we fail. You know, grace means that we can walk in the joy the liberating, freeing joy of knowing we are at peace with God. Loved, forgiven, treasured, delighted in, longed for, embraced, celebrated. That's who, that's who we are in Christ. That we have his forgiveness once and for all. And that none of that comes from what we've done, but it comes from accepting what Christ did on the cross. Legalism is the opposite of grace. Legalism is basically trying to earn from God what is already given to us as a free gift. It's like trying to leverage God's favour by our own works. Trying to leverage it with our own works. But we know that God sent Jesus as a propitiation so we have the favour of God through Christ. And so I want to tell you today, if you are a Christian, if you're in Christ, you responded to the gospel, I want to tell you plainly, that whatever reason you might have right now, whatever thoughts you may have in your mind, whatever you've got in your heart, the things that you, you've walked with this week or the things that you just know you generally battle with, those reasons that you have for believing that God is angry with you or any reason that you have for believing that God wants to relationally distance himself for you 
or any reason that you have for believing that God has given up on you, I want to cancel that lie over you right now in the name of Jesus and expose it for what it is as a lie. That's not in the Bible, okay? That, that, that is a lie, okay? That actually you have no reason to feel that way. And I want to I encourage you to break your own agreement with that as well. Right now, to embrace truth, the truth of God's word, to reject the lie and embrace the truth that by grace, actually, you're, that all those things that I've shared are true of you. And, uh, and yeah, embrace that actually looks upon you with love. He loves you with pleasure, with kindness and with a heart actually that wants to be, you know, God wants to be near to you. That he doesn't just have to love you, but he actually likes you. That God likes you. He really likes you. He's fond of you. He likes the way he made you. He likes the way he made you. He loves you. He takes pleasure in you. You know, it thrills his heart to draw near to you. It's not begrudging. When you approach God and worship and pray, he's like, oh, I know what you did last week. And, you know, you just... No, I do not. He, he genuinely... It is his nature to love you. He doesn't have to try. He loves you, takes pleasure in you. It's an amazing truth. He, it's good, isn't it? You know, and, but he's, he's a good father and equally he, he disciplines those that he loves because he loves them. So he also disciplines us. It's not a thing that God is kind of a fluffy pushover and it's all just nice and oh, what a lovely, wonderful, blessed thought. The, the love of God is powerful and strong and unbreakable and irreversible, but also he's a father that knows how to discipline and to teach his children and to bring correction because he, want, he doesn't want us to have a, 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 a watered-down, diluted version of life. Now, he wants us to, to enjoy the, the, the fullest life. Righteousness is actually good for us to live in the light of God's righteousness, to, to be who God created us to be. He's life-giving. Um, and he wants the best for us. He doesn't just want to fill up heaven with righteous people because oh, I like righteous people. Now, it's righteousness is life. It's life and joy and peace. And, you know, that's what it's about. And he doesn't grow weary on that journey of, of holding your hand through that, of discipline and patience and correction and grace. He doesn't grow weary in doing that. He, he walks with us patiently he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't get fed up with that. We can't exhaust the patience of God. He will find a way to meet us where we're at and he will complete the work that he began in us. The work that he began in us, he will bring to completion. It's, it's good to know, isn't it? Actually, even our sanctification is actually a gift of God. It's the work of God in us. You don't sanctify yourself, do you know that? You partner with the Holy Spirit, you put effort in, you, you, you read the words, you go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live this out. But you do so knowing that actually it's the grace of God that empowers you to actually do that. And it's, it's only God's faithfulness that keeps you and me in the, in the faith. It's only by God's faithfulness, but he is faithful to complete what he started in us. It's good. As John Newton once wrote in that great hymn, in Jesus we have a never-failing treasury filled with boundless stores of grace. Filled. I wonder if the band could come up as we just respond to this.
Just as we come into land, if we think about those three objectives that we're working through with this series, we could go on to kind of touch on that third one about how this empowers us to go and carry the grace of God into the world around us. But the fact is, if we encounter the grace of God ourselves, if we're transformed by the grace of God ourselves, actually it will become part of who we are, not just to act graciously to those around us, to be people of grace and show grace, but actually we'll carry the fragrance of Christ and we'll be signposts, we'll be messengers of the gospel of grace that draws other people to the God of grace. Because when someone's living in the, in the good of the grace of God, it shows. You become radiant with it because you become free. And so with that in mind, I want us just to take a moment to respond to the God of grace. We don't just want a theology, we want to encounter the God of grace. Now, so I want to encourage you to take a minute to tune it, to just focus your heart on God. The God of grace. And I want to make an invitation right now for anyone who doesn't know Jesus. If you don't know this God of grace, and like I said to you, the gospel of, of Jesus Christ is not just feel-good news. It's not just nice. This is, this is life and death. This is eternity-shaping truth. And it's because I love you that I want to tell you that if you are not in Christ, if you've not responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're in a, you're in a dangerous, you're in a precarious place. In fact, the Bible says you're dead in your sin and without hope. But with Christ, you can know freedom and forgiveness, a sure hope for all of your eternity. So if you don't know Christ this morning, I just want to encourage you right now just to, just to, just to reach out to him. Start asking, God, all right, I'm, if you're there, I've heard your truth. Father, show yourself to me in a new way. Father God, Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to me in a new way. And just take that next step of response, whatever that looks like for you. And it might be right now you want to respond to the gospel and say, God, I repent of my sin. I recognise that I've, I've wandered far from you and I want to return to you, Jesus. I want to receive your forgiveness. I want to receive your grace. I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross. You took my sin. You rose again to, to defeat sin and death. You paid the price for my sin so that I could be forgiven right here, right now. Maybe you want to pray that, pray that prayer and receive Jesus into your heart right now. And I pray you would. It might be that the next step for you is to just talk to the person you came with or come and chat to one of us at the front. But I'd encourage you to seize this moment this morning to respond to this gospel of grace that brings life. It may be that others here who you're a Christian and actually you're not living in the freedom of God's grace. You're not living in the joy of our salvation. Take hold of the grace of God right now. Take hold of what is yours. And I'm going to pray in a minute that the Holy Spirit would lead you in that. In fact, let's just do that now. God, we, we come to you right now as the, the King of glory, as the God of righteousness, but we come to you as the, the God of grace as well. Huh. Jesus, thank you that you came to make a, a new and living way for us to approach God. And right now, I wanna pray for anybody here, God, that has that wrestle with guilt, with shame, with condemnation, with not feeling able to approach you, God, 
because of sin, failure, whatever it may be. Father, right now I pray, Holy Spirit, you would, uh, you'd come and minister to them right now, right where they are. I pray that you would cause the truth of this Word to bear fruit and take root in their heart. We pray that guilt would be, uh, would, would be, would be rightly uh, removed from them, Jesus, like you've already done. God, that those that are still holding themselves guilty for things that you've forgiven them of, God, would be set free to live in the grace of God, the grace of forgiveness. And I ask you right now, Holy Spirit, would you minister in a deep place to those individuals? And God, I pray, would you pour out your spirit of adoption on every one of us to know that we are children of God. That cry, Abba, Father, would rise up within us to know not only are we justified, but we're reconciled to You. That we're Yours, that You take pleasure in us, that You have Your hand upon us, that You will never leave us, that You love us and delight in us. Oh God, we're grateful for the work of Your grace. We're so grateful.